I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hit Me One More Time, the nostalgia reflection podcast that looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the ever-important question, is this good? Now, I don't do this show alone. I have a co-host here with me, the stalwart, always excellent Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hey, David. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Well, that's that's good. I'm glad that you're hanging on. That's the least any of us can do in these present times. <laughs> literally, literally hanging. I'm recording this while I'm holding on to a ledge for dear life. Yep. And we'll see in the next hour if he makes it or not uh, at, with me to see just in case he falls and uh, midway through and the show can continue on. We have a wonderful guest joining us this week. He is a podcaster extraordinaire. You may have heard him on Interdimensional RSS, among other podcasts that he does. That is Brandon Cruz. Brandon, hello. Well, hello, David. Hello, Nick. Thank you for having me on on your wonderful show. Happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Um, Just real quick, in case somebody doesn't know you and know your work, what is Interdimensional RSS? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, Interdimensional RSS is the unofficial, uh, because we haven't uh, convinced Adult Swim or talked to anybody at Adult Swim to make us the official Rick and Morty podcast. Uh, we've been doing that for a handful of years, and uh, with two-year breaks in between seasons, uh, we, we've been around a while. So That's awesome. Um, do you know, like, is Justin Rowland or uh, Dan Harmon aware of the show at all? Uh, not that they've not said anything out okay. out loud, but, uh, but the, the, but the orbit I've, I've wrangled my way into, uh, interviews and, and talking to some folks from production, whether they're animators or writers, uh, directors. Uh, so the people in the show are aware of us, but I don't know if they openly, uh, admit it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to acknowledge you. Cause then you like, you have to be official if they, <laughs> It's like you're their Dan bastard Harman, child. Dan Harmon sleeps to your podcast at night. I guarantee it. <laughs> I think Dan, Har- he probably sleeps to recordings of its own voice based on <laughs> what I know about Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon, you're Rats. great. Oh. Well, that's great. Rick and Morty, a show that I still have not seen a whole lot of, but uh, probably yeah. in a bit uh, influenced, at least probably in some ways, by what we're watching today. And what we're watching today is the 1990 movie Total Recall that Brandon has brought here for us. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in this sci-fi action thriller as Douglas Quaid, a construction worker who finds himself embroiled in espionage on Mars after visiting Recall, a company that implants memories. Throughout the film, Quaid questions whether his experience is real or part of the memory implant, but never stops fighting to save Mars. You know, you've got to start that reactor. Before we get into our discussion, break down this just totally 1980s movie, uh, we want to know what everybody's personal history is with this. So, Brandon, since you brought it here, since it was your pick, what's your history with Total Recall? Total Total Recall, uh, you, we, uh, when I initially talked to you, 
um, you know, about, about coming on the show, I, I thought, okay, where, where was I at an age of, in my life where I, I, I was watching fairly adult movies and I was, I was starting to figure stuff out uh, on my own uh, as, as far as plot and, and, and what have you. And, and being an eight-year-old in 1990 uh, really is, is that kind of age where you start to, re- you start to m- m- retain uh, memories of, of certain things. Mm-hmm. And so Total Recall always, always stuck out to me as a movie I liked, but I only remembered like really bits and pieces of it. There, there's, there's certain scenes that like jumped out and, and uh, kept itself in my memory. But not really understanding where the plot was as a kid still. Uh, so I watched it with my dad. Uh, there's a, 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 a video store, Tenerif Video in, in Glendale, California. And we went up there, we rented it. And uh, that's, that's where my history began with Total Recall. And uh, just like Running Man, this is one that I go back to every couple of years to uh, watch, watch again. Oh, very cool. I have never seen Running Man, um, but I've had sort of an increased interest to, I think they did it on the um, How Did This Get Made podcast and seemed to have a pretty fun discussion with that. This movie, though, I had seen before. I hadn't really seen it until college, as far as I can remember. Um, Just me and my buddies went, I I think what everybody kind of does in college, which has this big, like, 1980s action movie kick you know we watched a bunch of stallone films we watched a bunch of schwarzenegger films uh and this one in particular became very much ingrained sort of in our social fabric um stuff like you know start the reactor save mars became a phrase that we would say to each other all the time you know like little little bits became inside jokes Uh, plus we had a a long-running joke that my um at the time friend now brother-in-law uh was the unknown son of Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's he's a very big like huge guy very big guy and uh, so we that that was another thing that that propelled movies like this sort of into our interactions and and being part of our group fabric. Nick, what about you? So I like Brandon. I also remember exploring more adult content uh, when I was the ripe old age of two in 1990, uh, and that this movie left an indelible impact on me. Um, but okay, actually, I've never seen this movie before. Um, so um, I I don't really have a lot of experiences with this film or any culture surrounding it. I did however see the colin farrell remake that came out several years ago um and that one was okay um well we don't really need to get into that one here because that's not what the show is about but but needless to say um i i had no experience that being said i loved this movie so when we (laughs) talk about this movie again in 20 years when we reboot the show with the you know hit me one more time remake uh, i definitely will recommend this show again uh movie again anyway well when we do that when we do the remake of this though won't we have to talk about the remake we'll have to watch the colin farrell one uh i hope not uh yeah you don't need to do you don't need to do that i so i i I haven't seen the remake uh nick has i'm guessing you you have as well brandon yeah i i I have uh because total recall came out uh right along the same time uh another paul verhoeven uh remake came out which was robocop right oh right and uh and uh yeah i uh 
Yeah, I watched it. I'm not. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> Look, it was a dark time in my life. You, you didn't want to admit it, but since we're here twisting your arm, you're you're gonna say it. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of lots of lens flare. So if you're if you're a lens flare fan, you will you will just you will love Total Recall. The so was it was it just basically like because J.J. Abrams was really popular at that time that it was just like let's make J.J. Abrams version of Total Recall, except he's not going to be involved at all. I think so. I think so. I think that was the. Uh, I think that was the pitch at the uh, studio meeting. So <laughs> I'm actually. To be fair, he's his name is attached to so much stuff. If I googled it right now, I would not be surprised if he was somehow attached to the Total Recall remake. But right. anyway, well, before we get too far down our discussion about the remake, what we'd skip back <laughs> on topic of our discussion of the original film. But before we do that, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit just about the general history of this movie? Sure, David. Uh, so Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusset, the writers of Alien, obtained the rights to Philip K. Dick's short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, before his death to adapt it into a film. I did not realize this was a Philip K. Dick story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were unable to find a backer for the project, causing it to fall into development hell and pass from studio to studio and undergo over 40 drafts. With the collapse of Dino De Laurentiis's production company which had almost made the film with david cronenberg arnold schwarzenegger convinced the production company caraco to pick up the rights and make the film with him during production schwarzenegger had extensive control including veto power over the producer director screenplay co-stars and promotion he personally brought on paul verhoeven to did i say that name right verhoeven to direct even though the script still lacked a third act at the time. The movie was filmed in Mexico in 1989 and then released June 1st, 1990. A remake starring Colin Farrell, as we have said, was released in 2012. Yes. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's control on this movie was absolute. Uh, He had an insane amount of power and made a ton of money off of it, even um, getting 15% of the box office, which is quite the deal in most situations and in this one as well this was a a financial success so uh that just speaks to the power of arnold schwarzenegger at this time and i want to start our discussion of the movie with arnold schwarzenegger because i feel like he's supposed to be an everyman character in this movie but no one could look like him like he's supposed to be like your run-of-the-mill everyday construction worker but his biceps look like cartoons <laughs> am i crazy i mean i don't know about you but i but i feel like when i look at my bulging biceps i i can totally feel like arnold is the everyman that i am it's true it's true uh basically every time i look in the mirror at a at a at a, at a heavy 160 i'm like man i look i look arnold Arnold is every as ever, uh, but uh, I, I was I, I I rewatched Total Recall the other day, and uh, coincidentally, I there's I forget which magazine I think uh, some magazine whatever they do a YouTube video where they they get actors and they talk about favorite famous roles and uh, and so I watched the one with with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was he was talking about Total Recall and he was talking about um, you know that the whole De, uh, De Laurentiis uh, taking it saying when he was selling a bunch of scripts, Arnold said, Hey, uh, go ahead and buy this one right away. And, and so, and so they did. Uh, but to the, the everyman point with, you know, it, with him being Conan, the barbarian to start. And I know we're talking about total recall. I, I won't, I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but 
the the producers, uh, Hollywood, they told him for the longest time, you can't, you're not going to be a leading man because you're too big <laughs> and and your accent is dumb. <laughs> they, they probably didn't say dumb to, to, to his face. Uh, and then Conan came out and then, you know, the, the rest is history, then Terminator and so on and so forth. And so it's really interesting, all the roles that Arnold's played as every man, uh, like Jingle All the Way, come on, you know, uh, oh. stuff like that. Yeah, Jingle All the Way is one of my like most favorite movies that I will never revisit because I'm sure it's actually terrible. But um, I mean, that's definitely probably the pinnacle of Arnold's career. Oh, if you don't if you don't think that movie is getting onto this podcast, I have some real bad news for you there, bud. Uh, <laughs> he is just yeah, it's it's just so funny because like it, when you watch like Predator, you know, he's supposed to be like this marine or i forget exactly but you know he has like a military background so it's like okay i can kind of believe like this big massive guy fits this role but uh then watching stuff like this yeah like like you mentioned jingle all the way it's just so funny to me when like i'm supposed to believe that like i could look out at my neighbor and they're going to look like arnold schwarzenegger uh it's kind of that similar thing that's happening now with like the rock which uh one also not to go on a tangent on this i love that the rock apparently crafts a body for every single film that he's in uh so for us the viewer it's like okay big overly toned muscle guy but for the rock it's like no this is my fast and furious body and like this is my rage body like there's ones where he like tried to like appear more like naturally muscular not you know as insane as he is but it's like come on man you're you're the rock i mean to be fair there are people with absolutely bulging muscles that are also property owners and must be the neighbors of someone. Okay. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I, I, what, what Schwarzenegger is so entertaining to watch, right? Like, is he, I guess this is a, a question to, to ask is Arnold Schwarzenegger actually a good actor or is he just really good at what he does? Uh, I, um, I would say He's done he's done good acting roles before. Uh there's a, there's a zombie movie that he was in a couple of years ago that he is really really good in um as a, as an actual actor. But I would say that Arnold is just very good at what he does. Uh going back to this this YouTube thing I I watched like he talks about his famous lines and then all of his lines and we'll talk about lines obviously on this about Total Recall. <laughs> but all all the lines are great because because he's saying them not in any way special, just he's saying them like Arnold would say them. Yeah. Oh, Nick, when you were watching this last night, you texted me some line of his. You... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for it right now because I was just thinking about all of the freaking classic lines that were in this thing. Uh, but go on. Oh, well, okay. Well, now this is like the awkward point where we're trying to remember. <laughs> Brandon, what, what to you off the top of your head, what is a, what is a classic Arnold line from this film? Okay. I, okay. Uh, well, uh, two come to mind, but I'll, I'll just go with an order I, I haven't written down. See you at the party, Richter. Yep, that was a good one. That's a classic. <laughs> uh, I, I have another one ready if you need me to to fill go. in. Oh, well, well, let, actually, no. I want to get that to in a second because I want to talk about real quick the because the see you at the party, Richter, is after the guy's arms got ripped off, <laughs> and like just how bloody this movie was. Like it was a uh, way gorier, and like they're like opening fire on like just crowds of people. It is 
just kind of like shocking at times. Like I, that I completely forgotten how bloody this movie can be. It was bloody and it was visceral. And I feel like it's something that not, not that it maybe is impossible to capture with like modern CGI, but there was something about how they probably had to go overboard because they only really had, if they wanted to feel, I don't know what the word I should use, like legitimate back in the 1989 or 1990 or whatever was like, they had to do prosthetics and all of that. And in my mind, they went overboard because I am never going to unsee those bulging eyes on Mars. <laughs> well, I think part of that is Paul Verhoeven. Um, Cause Paul Verhoeven was good at doing body horror and yeah, like the bulging eyes. But I also think about um, the scene that sticks out in my mind is when he's pulling out the, the thing that's in his head, uh, the massive like ball that's apparently implanted oh, in his no. head and he's pulling it out through his nose and Oh, just like even like thinking about it now is it is a very visceral feeling, but like the the effect is really good. Like it looked really good, and that's what makes it so disturbing. Right. It's that that as as a kid, I I, I remember the crunch uh, when the probe goes into the skull. Like oh. you, you feel a little bit of pressure, and then. <laughs> Uh, and I just like, I couldn't do it if, as a kid. I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'd, I'd be dead. I recently had a, a camera shoved up my nose to look at my throat. And I, I mean, that thing must have been tiny uh, compared to this giant orb that he pulled. And I'm like, that's that's got to be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it really, uh, uh, and it was like when he pulled that thing out uh, and like he opened it up, like it's not it's not like a small device. This would have been massively painful like that you have to assume they also got it into his brain that way right like where was it hanging if it was it had to have been on the inside of his skull right like where was it hanging out that it wasn't causing immense mental anguish every day that's i it's basically it's basically a lobotomy you know it's it's a it's 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 a metaphor for <laughs> yeah lobotomies this whole movie uh, was a metaphor you know, I, what I you you, meant, you mentioned body horror in in Paul in Verhoeven. Uh, what interesting, I didn't know that that Cronenberg uh, was was signed on at at one point in time to to work on it. You know, huge body horror guy. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I com compare this compare that scene with the probe coming out of his nose to something that uh, Cronenberg would do, uh, like in Scanners or uh, The Fly. You know, it's it's crazy to me. Yeah, no, it. Um, oh, I forget now who, uh, who he had tapped to star in at that point. Like, there were some really interesting people that were supposed to star in this movie. Like, uh, apparently, Richard Dreyfus was at one point supposed to to be the star, um, and Cronenberg uh, Cronenberg would have cast William Hurt uh, oh, in the role, which would have been a much different movie. Uh, That's true. I, well, because I really want to hear William Hurt say in response to this line, what have you been feeding this thing? Blondes. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. The the women of this film are uh, not given a whole lot to do. Typically, I would say maybe you're kind of 80s action heroines. I mean, I wouldn't say anybody in this movie is, a, is a, an amazingly fleshed out character. It's true. The, the the two prominent female characters, I would also say that they're they're their plot 
their 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 service to the plot was basically just to sort of prop up Arnold's character and and primarily just kind of serve as sex objects in the course of the film in so many ways. Like there were some interesting wrinkles, like you know, because like they open the scene with his quote unquote wife, and they basically they just open it and have sex, and then you do find out later that she's like a double agent, which is an which is a cool wrinkle, but ultimately like you get this feeling that she's partly just there to sort of like while him away with her sexuality why uh, to that why because sharon stone's character um is supposed to uh supposed to be this like this fake wife but she is also the the i i don't know what their relationship is she is entangled with like the the guy who ends up being kind of the main antagonist of the film you don't why was she selected why wasn't there anybody else picked if she like is already like in a relate like why her now look it's sharon stone i'm not going to complain she was a very attractive woman at you know it still remains to be but i was very confused why it's like this guy was like and my girlfriend will be his wife i, I mean maybe so from what we could understand from uh what was his name Co- kohagen the like the big boss i guess of the whole operation is a it's not like these people really gave a crap about say small things like human rights um, so the idea that maybe it was just like, hey, Sharon Stone, you uh, he'll totally go gaga for you. So we're going to send you in. And then other like angry, you know, antagonist of the film guy whose name uh, was Richter. Richter is like, Richter, I don't really care about your opinion. I can totally see him sort of just going over him in order to select her. And given that this guy controls the oxygen on the planet and has <laughs> untold, you know, incredible reach with his powers that I, I don't think she was going to necessarily argue the point. Mm. Yeah, and, and and you know there there's also this that he's going in deep, right? He's going deep undercover, so deep he doesn't even know that his his real name isn't Quaid. Uh that they they need somebody that they can trust to be in that that role. And hey, who who better to trust than than your really close uh, girlfriend or whatever whatever she is in this in this role. Yeah, the plot is very convoluted. Um, and I don't want to just like spend time talking about how ridiculous the plot is. Cause I think there's a, a lot of really great stuff to talk about with this movie, but the plot is so they kept him alive cause he knew secrets and they needed to somehow trick him into reveal. I don't understand why they left Quaid slash Hauser alive. Well, so here, here's, here's a quick rundown. As we all know, Quato uh all the mutants they can they can see into they can read your mind they can read your thoughts and if 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 you can if you if you are a a deep agent no matter how deep you are they can read your they can read your thoughts so the idea is to make him think he's completely somebody completely different and so he won't be able to think about that and then he will be able to infiltrate that organization eventually uh michael ironside uh, richter he started screwing things up at at the at the start uh in cohagen you know calls him out for and is like you're 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 effing things up brother uh so that's that's basically what it's true the plot i would say well it is a convoluted plot it wasn't necessarily hard to follow once you understood what all the cards were on the table even if you get to the end of the film and it turns out and i guess we assume that what we were watching was in fact the truth but it could still all be a, a recall fantasy um, but as far as the motivations of certain characters, it seemed pretty clear that um, uh, Hauser slash Quaid was like a triple agent, you know, working in service of Kohagen. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. I think I just, I just got a little bit lost on my latest viewing, um, but was just having such a good time that I'm like, yeah, I don't really, don't really care what's happening, I guess. Uh, to go, I guess, back a little bit to the body horror. And since it was mentioned, I do want to talk about Quato uh, and how, how, how horrifying was that at eight years old, Brandon? Uh, um, I, it was, it was, it was really, really, really weird. I watched, I watched it, I rewatched it this weekend with, with my eight-year-old who just happens to be eight right now. Uh, I, I didn't plan it that, I didn't plan that out. It's all, all happy accidents. It's the circle uh, of life. <laughs> um, but when, when, when Quato showed up, well, you know, you see a bunch of the other mutants and he's kind of like, oh, um, and I was like, oh, you don't even, you don't even know, kid. You don't even know. <laughs> And then, and then uh, that that actor turns around, and then this this quado is is, is on his chest. He kind of looks like uh, like something from Ghoulies or something like that. Uh, but then he's like, "Oddly, like oh oh god, that's creepy." Like, keep watching. Open your mind to to this, man. That's great. I thought there was something charming about Quado, though. I mean, yeah, he 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 kind of was um like a, a baby version of the guy from goonies attached to someone's ab- abdomen but like <laughs> there was i don't know say like he, he yes i think for something that you generally don't see like mutant baby sticking out of someone's abdomen on a regular basis some people do maybe, maybe i don't know but like um it was clear that like despite how quote unquote, physically, maybe to us, he was unsettling. There was clearly a certain level of maturity um, and and passiveness isn't the right word, but I, in a sense that like if you're in a room with Quato, like you you trust him, like you feel, I, you should feel safe around him compared to someone like, say, Kohagen, if that makes sense. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. It's uh, I think it's a strength of the designer, and I don't know who did the the practical like effects and the design on this, so I can't give them proper credit. Um, though I wish that I I could because it's it's just very well designed. It's very obviously like you know if you if you think about it for too much, there's no way that guy was was rightfully hiding it under his shirt at all times. Like that guy's not walking around. <laughs> And people, right, and like, <laughs> what's Coato doing the whole time while he's right. stuffed inside a shirt? It's not like he has a Game Boy in there or well, something that just whittle away at the time. It it seems like their consciousness maybe passes back and forth, like while one is conscious and like in control, the other one isn't. Mm, oh, that's a good point. That other guy did seem kind of dazed while Coato was talking. Yeah, but it's a really well done prosthetic and and puppet. Um, and I will say a lot of the effects in this movie still look really good like even some of the stuff you know beyond like the the body stuff we talked about which is really well designed um but there's some of like even the the computer graphics like when uh when he shows up on the planet and he's dressed up as the when quaid shows up on mars and he's dressed up as the uh the the big redhead and you know he's yeah. saying two weeks two weeks and then uh reveals that it's him like when he opens up the head and the head like floats off looked really good like i was yeah. seriously impressed get ready for a surprise <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was so weird that, that was that was definitely an uncomfortable bit but it was but yeah it's this movie is something where like it's hard to say it was a good movie 
if you're saying like is this a good movie or a bad movie like there's a part of me that really wants to say total recall is a bad movie but what i actually am going to say is that total recall was a freaking great movie uh and i i realize there's a lot of it's a lot of contradictions there but it's sort of things where like it, i don't know like this movie isn't going to win an oscar but oh but uh, it did it, oh it did well i mean for uh best visual effects but Okay, never mind. Oscar-winning Total Recall, it, you know, you, you just can't get better than that. It's like the Oscar award-winning uh, Suicide Squad, you know, great film. <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was, it was. I was at such a conflict while watching the movie because a lot of times when I just sort of like as, as a personal example for me, when I watch films, especially in the movie theater, I it's almost to a detriment to myself, and it's really hard for me to get out of my mind. And I sit there, and I'm almost kind of like that um the critic in ratatouille that sits there and like eats the food he just is expressionless the whole time like i'm a statue watching these films and somewhere in my brain might be enjoying it but it's almost like i'm critically analyzing it the whole time and it might take like a second watch to actually really appreciate it and this was a film that like you know okay oh brandon recommended total recall there saying whatever you know I'll, I'll put it on and i'll watch it and we'll see and like i was super engrossed in this film and, and that's a rare treat for me to just sort of lose myself in this ridiculousness yeah it's it's a movie that begs you to just come along for the ride yeah yeah i i, I i'm so glad that 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 you had seen this, this was your first time, first time seeing it. And I totally relate to you as far as like watching a movie for, you know, for the first time, uh, just I'm like, okay, I look, let me just, let me just watch, let me just watch it through. Um, and then thinking about like, okay, this works, this works. Okay. What's the, what's the twist going to be or who, who's the murderer or, you know, what, whatever. Right. right. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, one, one, one of the notes I wrote down for it after I watched the movie this, this last time is, you know, the whole total recall thing is he's uh, as as Quaid at the beginning of the movie, he goes to recall with a K uh, mm -hmm. so he can escape his his reality. He can escape the world and go to Mars and, and, and just go along for the ride. And he picks an action. He picks a spy uh, for for whatever reason at the at the beginning. Right. And in in some ways, like that's 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 essentially what total recall is doing. It, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of set pieces, a bunch of really cool moments, and it's just kind of nonstop. Like uh, from from Earth through the uh, subway system of that 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 X-ray machine, which is totally iconic to me as a kid. Like oh yeah, so so, so super cool. Um, to to the you're a surprise, uh, and then <laughs> and then the the doc the doctor in the room where it's like you know he sees a bead of sweat and uh, that's that's his tell everything you know it's just it's just non-stop and uh in a way it is total recall is escapism for us and quaid oh look at that oh yeah i i do want to get to everyone's feelings and whether or not the events of this movie actually happened um but we'll save that more for when we're going to be wrapping up here in, in a little bit um but I'm reminded of another movie that I really love, which is Fast Five. And the reason I'm making that comparison is I have that same thing, too, where I find myself so often sitting there thinking, you know, watching the movie. And I think a movie will start to crack when it's like, well, that, you know, that logically doesn't make sense. And if if 
if the movie's not entertaining me or grasping me, like I'm going to hold on to those logical inconsistencies or like the character inconsistencies, the stuff that just doesn't feel right. But I remember sitting in the theater for Fast Five and it, it's at the climactic big final chase scene of the movie. And I'm like, this, what is happening on screen is so stupid and over the top that it makes no sense and i don't care because i am having so much fun like that is kind of what you know this movie is that there's a lot to question about mars and the way that mars works and why are the domes made of like just cheap glass that are so easy to break they call that out in the film they specifically like this is a movie that maybe because now in the last 30 years or whatever like we've had all these films that sort of, you know, deal with class warfare and, you know, the the 1% versus 99% and, and all of that. And like, it, even though it's still incredibly relevant to today, like we've, as, as far as like entertainment products, we've obviously inundated it, but it might not necessarily have been something on a pop culture level that was as prominent back in 1990. Uh, and this film actually, I feel like for the pop aspect that it was um, tackling it did a really good job sort of showing the, the sort of basic concepts of inequality through um, the experiences of people on Mars. Right. But still, I don't care if you're making this out of the cheapest materials you can. They're not going to make it with regular glass. Like regular, regular glass from any sort of standpoint would not hold up in the atmosphere of space to, to like to encapsulate this dome. Uh, but Again, watching this, I didn't care because when they would shoot the dome and people would start getting sucked out, it was super exciting. And I was super like, oh, no, what's what's going to happen? Is, uh, 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 no, yeah. don't, don't, don't. Oh, my gosh, those faces. They're just they're right there in the corner of my eyes at all times. I'm going to make that the image for this episode just so like everybody when we make that noise in the podcast can just be like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> And also, nobody's going to listen to it because that because Arnold's horrified face is just going to be on screen. And, and, and like when you get to the like, I, I know we're kind of bouncing around the episode, but like the when um, uh, Quaid slash Hauser and Melina um, end up, you know, sucked out just after Arnold uh, starts the alien machine or whatever. Like they're out there for a while, like having their yes. eyes bulge, their faces contort before magic oxygen fills the planet. And then their faces are totally fine. Again, I know this is an action movie. Where we understand that it's all ridiculous, but like they would have permanent uh, phys physiological and like mental damage from that experience. And they wouldn't just get up and be like, oh, hey, I can breathe again. Yeah. <laughs> That's... My face feels my face feels good. Oh, <laughs> my, wow. my sinuses have opened up. <laughs> Thanks, oxygen. <laughs> well, that's uh, but again, also like the the solution is the core of Mars is ice, so let's melt it, and that's gonna somehow create atmosphere. <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. The logic of this movie is insane, but who cares? Like it was it was great. Uh, you know, because Mars is like the opposite of, of Earth, right? Like Mars money is red, Earth money is green, Earth has a molten core, uh, Mars has an ice core. It totally makes sense. Just blew this oh, whole thing wide open. We're really getting to the heart of it now. Okay. As, an, as a scientist, as, oh, I, as, as I like to call myself after a few Wikipedia searches, I think the science is sound here. I want the silence of this podcast to shame you. <laughs> I want you to uh, to feel the weight of that. We've talked a little bit about Mars, but I I want to 
let's talk more about the design of like the the mutants and like the bar that he goes to and the the the, the famous the famous three boobed lady from this movie. Uh, that's what thing right. to be famous for. Uh, uh, again, uh, an eight-year-old Brandon and an eight-year-old my son. Uh, you know, for for some reason, I'm me and my wife Chelsea. We're we're okay with with showing him horror films, and uh, he he'll watch Joe Bob Briggs uh, with us on on Shutter all the time. And uh, like violence, all right, you know, whatever. We're Americans; we can deal with violence. But whenever there's whenever there's nudity, that's when we're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Cover your eyes, kid. But this movie, the three boob woman, we we told him, no, you keep your eyes open for this. <laughs> you need to see this. You need to experience this. Uh, just to sear it into his brain uh, for therapy later. <laughs> <laughs> what a great father. <laughs> well, and they're and they're so like, I mean, the, you know, everything we've been talking about, like, oh, that looks really good. This is like the one thing that's like those are very obviously. Like fake prosthetic breasts that this woman was wearing on her chest, right? But I also just like so. I mean, you're in this this segment of the film, and I want to hit the three boobs aside. Like, I I thought that that this was a a a part of the film where like even though there wasn't a lot for these characters to do in the bar or the resistance or whatever, for the ones that the that the film spent some time on, like they were somehow wonderfully charming. Like I didn't know a lot about them, but if I had the opportunity, I would have loved to have known more about them. But I love that from like a production sense, where as they're trying to figure out, okay, this guy's going to have like a weird gash on his face. And this person's going to have like a weird uh, second arm, alien arm thing underneath the prosthetic, whatever. And then it's like, what else can we make mutant ask? What if we just give this attractive woman a third breast and then call it a day uh it's that's that's so that's so true I, I i love the point about like the the characters in the background like having having this this charm to them and i feel uh the, the guy with the gash in his face who is the same actor uh, who plays hank on yeah Breaking dean, dean norris yeah. yeah 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 uh like i i remember i remember him being a bigger part of the movie but then watching it and being like oh i guess he didn't really have that big a part in the movie um and, and and i and i don't know why why that is like i remember that character specifically but it's not as if he you know had more than three lines yeah uh, right and i think that that cuts into sort of the nostalgia aspect of everything they were talking about right here right um like you i mean you guys compared to me but like you guys saw these movies when you were younger and you have we have these moments with these characters that are so much bigger in our minds than they may have actually Ben in the original product and in a sense where, where i think it sounds like the consensus here is this movie for all of its flaws is really good i freaking love this movie <laughs> um it's the fact that these that they're that whatever work was done on these characters was enough to sort of make them expand in our minds and carry through us th through our lives is i think something actually really special yeah the the dean norris character you know he obviously has a very important like facial feature uh, that would probably help him stick out a bit. But I think there is also something to, he comes off as this really like gruff character when they first get to that bar and, and, you know, he obviously has issues with Quaid, but then when, uh, when, you know, stuff starts hitting the fan, he's helping out. He's part of it, you know, like that we don't get a ton of time with that guy, but there's like a hint that there's like these layers to him, that he's a, he's a part of this resistance and he believes in it, but also at the same time, 
you know, he is still his own full-fledged character. Uh, well, I, I, I can't say full-fledged, but there's hints that there being maybe more to him than, uh, than just, like, the guy who doesn't like Quaid when he first shows up. <laughs> much, much, much like an onion, his face has layers. <laughs> Very true. Uh, what? Uh, let's, real quick, let's talk about the guy who's got five kids to feed. <laughs> hey, man, I got five kids to feed. He's got five kids to feed. What else is there to say about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got four kids to feed. You know, what else you got to say about him? Hey, 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 you said five. Ooh. You got me. <laughs> um, it was just a uh, an interesting character who, um, I don't want to get too much into the like, well, I don't want that to be a thing that happens with this podcast where all we do is like look at and be like, let's look at the metrics of these things. And like, <laughs> how do they hold up to, you know, how their, their treatment of people of color? Because if it was an aw- absolutely awful treatment, obviously you'd want to call that out. I don't think this is a great treatment for people of color. Uh, they are, you know, the one person of color in the film is uh, is an alien, which we've discussed kind of the otherness of that with Stargate, um, I think is a little bit of an issue. And, you know, obviously is, is a bit deceitful, isn't a, a great look. Um, kind of treating him too in the same way as as uh, comedic. Um, I can't even think of the word that I'm trying to to put together with it. But like another thing in this movie that stood out to me is like, okay, well we have a, a room full of mutants and people who have, who are you know supposed to be different than the rest of us. Let's have a little person in there like that. Yeah, rubbed me a little bit of a, uh, the wrong way. Um, yeah. I don't remember what point I was trying to get to before I went off on this on this long tangent, uh, aside from the fact that I've got uh, four kids to feed. And and him taking off his hand and revealing his alien arm also looked great and was, again, horrifying. Yeah, his his arm look, looks like the uh, like the arrival, uh, the, the um, uh, with uh, what's his face? Uh, oh, yeah. Charlie Sheen. Uh, there's the movie Arrival, uh, where the aliens are on on Earth and they're they're global warming, so they can prepare Earth for the, their their arrival. As you uh, do. <laughs> uh, but I I keep bringing up my eight year old, and I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm, this is this isn't Brandon's. Uh, Go get him. Let's get him on the yeah, show. Why, why isn't he take. on the there. show? If he apparently he's got some thoughts on this movie. Let's get <laughs> <laughs> Parenthood podcast. Uh, he was disappointed in Benny's character. He oh. he trusted Benny, oh. and Benny Benny betrayed us. Huh. He, he he kept he kept uh, up until the the point of the betrayal. He's like, oh, he's he's good. I I thought he was gonna be a bad guy, but I but he's good. It's good. He's good. And then they go in the the the, the caverns or whatever, uh, and then he 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 shoots Quato, and it's like, yeah, sorry man, welcome <laughs> welcome to disappointment. No, okay, so his name's Benny. Uh, which I imagine is short for Benedict. Uh, the star of this film is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, do we think that there's extra layers to Benny being the betrayer is like a Benedict Arnold? Okay. Type you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm looking like this movie this is obviously like an inception level movie with a lot of different layers. So I'm connecting these dots for everyone else. The, the, the distance you went to for that drink of water is unfathomable to me. I was thirsty, and now I feel satiated, so I think it was worth it. Yeah, I'm quenched. Oh, <laughs> boy. 
<laughs> well, let's get to, I guess, sort of the, the big philosophical question hanging over this movie is, what, did any of that happen? I know we've been so all over the place. We've barely even touched on any of the plot. People, if you want to watch this movie, it is on Netflix. Um, obviously, we recommend that you watch it, and you probably have already seen it, given how popular this film is. But I'm curious to the people on this podcast right now whether or not you think it was all real or just the recall implanted memories. And Brandon, I'd love to hear what you have to th- say. Oh, yeah. I mean, half of my show notes are are talking about the lobotomy theory, uh, which is which is the the idea that uh, none of it actually happened uh, up up till he went to recall. All that happened, and then everything after that is is all a, a fantasy. Um, and uh, you know, as as a as a kid, I I talk about you know all these all these different scenes and and it not really making sense. And I, I mentioned that at the, at the at the top of the show about like the plot not really making sense and, and me not being able to understand certain things. Uh, you know, how, how Sharon Stone goes from being a loving wife to all of a sudden being this, this super spy uh, asshole. Uh, and, and just, and all the twists and turns, the, the scene with the doctor later on uh, where he's like, you're still in recall. You're still in the chair right now. I'm here to, to get you out. And, it, and if you, if you go with me, uh, then I, I can get you out. But if you kill me, then you're going to all of a sudden be bosom buddies with Cohagen. You're going to start thinking about alien civilizations mm-hmm. and, and yada, yada. And then he gets shot. And what happens? He's buddy, buddy with Cohagen and alien civilizations. So some of that stuff as a kid, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, as now, now I, I, I'd never heard that lobotomy theory or the fantasy theory. And then when I saw it, I was like, well, shit. There's there's some water. There's there's some water here, <laughs> or ice if you're in in Mars core. Um, just in the sense that there's there's so many uh, breadcrumbs that Verhoeven and the writers put into the the movie at the start of it and then throughout that just you know uh, blue sky comment. The scientist says while he's in recall, uh, there's pictures of aliens. The same alien structures that uh, you see at the end of the movies uh the the image of the sleazy demure molina in the in recall uh again things he's told about a doctor um and and it's hard for me to get away from that and i mentioned the escapism a little bit earlier the the escape recall is escapism total recall is escapism for as as far as plot goes as you're watching this movie, you're you're thinking, "Well, that's stupid. That's stupid. Oh, that's that's contrived. Okay, okay. Oh, oh, now this person's a, a betrayer. Yeah, okay. It starts being like the Saw movies. We're like that. That cannot happen. Uh, and that just reinforces the point that, well, yeah, because this is all a fantasy, and we're just we're along for the ride. So, in my opinion, it's changed over time. But yeah, I I. I Personally, I think it's a, a fantasy, especially with the lens flare at the end. Uh, it, <laughs> the, well, I mean, what, what, what do you what do you guys what do you guys think? I, I, I spoke a lot about uh, how I should be lobotomized myself. So, <laughs> uh, Nick, what do you think? Um, 
So I think the easy out, right, is that it doesn't matter if it's real or not. It's kind of like similar to the ending of Inception, if we're allowed to spoil that. Has it been 20 years? I don't know. Um, but like, it's a thing where you go through this experience and there's all these breadcrumbs, as Brandon was saying, that sort of says, like, you know, this could totally be part of the whole recall experience that he was paying for, or it could just be a coincidence to what he was um to to what he was hoping to get out of recall and then but ends up experiencing anyway and i mean it's tough right because there's also scenes prior to him going to recall that sort of feed into it like there's a scene where um he's talking like the wife his wife is like super against like this mars idea and then there's like the scene where they're, they're hugging and like even before the recall stuff like he the look that she gives to me as the viewer was like there's something more going on with her than meets the eye which then gets uh, proven uh, when it reveals that she's also a, an agent sort of working to keep quaid under wraps um so it's it's i think what to the credit of the film it's it was well developed enough that the the answer could go either way so ultimately it doesn't matter but i guess if i had to choose I would say that it really did happen. Interesting. I think that I am with Brandon on this one. I think even when the first time I saw it, it made kind of more sense to me that this was all part of the fantasy that was living out in his head, but that doesn't diminish the story. You know, Uh, I I think what Brandon brought up that the way they kind of keep signposting things, but they do it in a way, then this is like a really a testament to the film that it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like an, easy out that this is what's going on because there's still like just enough doubt like the doctor with the bead of sweat um you know is he sweating because he's lying to him or because he's trying really hard to convince him or is that again part of the whole thing where he's like you know the the convincing is part of it because it's going to deeper ingrain those memories because he's going to think it's even further true and i like that at the end he asks that question of melina like how do i know this is real or not and i think her response is is just great where it's like uh, you know, kiss me before it's over. Like, it doesn't really matter if it's real or not. For Quaid, it doesn't matter if it's real, if he, you know, has those memories now and they feel real and he enjoyed that idea. Also, how would you ever explain to your significant other that you, like, that you went to recall and got mem- that There's, uh, we could have talked a lot more about the concept of recall. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, did he did he enjoy those memories? Did he enjoy having and did we as the audience enjoy watching it? And obviously we did. So I don't think it's cheap in that way of like, well, if it's not real, that totally diminishes everything. You know, it, it makes it all fake. It makes it all completely pointless. I don't think it's completely pointless. It's entirely its point is entirely within the film that this guy lived out his fantasy, whether or not it's it's real. Nah. Who knows? But I don't think now, that it was. Now, to, to also be clear, though, and I, I realize that this could probably be really easily sort of uh, pushed to the side. Um, but structurally, the movie, if, if this was something where we were experiencing Quaid's experience, so to speak, um, then in my mind, the camera would never leave Quaid because we're watching him experiencing these memories, whereas there were multiple times in the film where it would cut to other people dealing with other stuff like Richter or Kohagen and all of that. And, And so from my mind, it's like, why, if we are experiencing this along with Quaid, why would we be privy to some of this information that Quaid wouldn't be experiencing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 that that's that's my biggest sticking point with with the with that kind of argument with 
is it is it is it all fantasy uh, is it's the it's the memories of places he wouldn't have been or or see uh in and i think the easiest way to like argue that that against that point is that uh, i mean it's it's his mem- memories so if we if we're if the after recall the rest of the movie we're watching are are his memories his interpretation of the memories then basically we're watching an unreliable narrator at that point in time for the rest of the film uh so so for things he wouldn't remember he could his mind would fill in the blanks so to speak of what's of what's going on and what the backstory is narratively you know we we don't necessarily see uh richter talking to uh, sharon stone uh right after he gets to mars but in his head you know that's these are all blanks that he's filling in and we're just watching those blanks. And if I can, uh, real quick, I just, I just want to touch on millennia, millennia, Melina, Melina a bit. Um, because so, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier, we didn't really delve into as far as like the portrayal of the female characters in the film, but I thought that her situation was really interesting and I, and, and not sort not in an, I think there was something compelling about the circumstances that I feel like I, there wasn't room for, or or they just wasn't prioritized in the film. In the sense that, so let's let's just put it together real quick. So Quaid, you know, every every man Arnold hashtag every man Arnold, um, you know, living his best life as a construction worker uh, with Sharon Stone. You know, he goes to recall. Things don't go well. It turns out that he actually is a secret agent. You know, with information about something that could topple the whole regime of Mars. Blah 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 blah. You get to the climax, and you find. I'm sorry. And along the way, he he is reunited with Melina, who is a prostitute in Venusville, the 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 underground town with all the mutants. Um, and they're clearly in a romantic, or were in a romantic relationship. So there's this version of Melina that was with hauser the one that we find out is the real identity of um quaid who was also a double agent that was working with kohagan the rest of the bad guys to topple the the resistance group um so you have this situation where melina is in love with this man who presumably the real hauser was using her you know, if he really is who the, the video recording of Hauser says he is. So she was in love with a lie and she finds this out. And there's like a moment where she expresses discontent about this. And it more or less gets sort of filed or whatever under the carpet um, because, you know, Quaid, who's the uh, Hauser, who's now Quaid and Quaid, regardless of who he really is, is dedicated to stopping Kohagen. Like they kind of just like, OK, well, she was upset for a second, but now like she's totally on board with this new quote unquote Hauser and like she still kisses at the end. Like for me, from like a real, I get this movie isn't real, but like from a realist perspective, if I was Melina, I would be, I mean, I'd be distraught. Uh, I would be super confused and I wouldn't just sort of throw myself back at this man who literally is a fictional version of a guy who also happens to be terrible. Uh, I just thought that was a really interesting aspect of the film that was sort of glossed over because it all sort of came together in the climax and there wasn't room for it and they chose not to explore it. I don't know what you guys' thoughts were. Yeah, I think there's a little bit to that too, having learned about the history now, that there was no third act to this movie written like shortly before they started filming it. Um, Because I do think the third act does feel the most sort of uh, tacked on or just kind of like thrown together um, where it feels like they brought someone in that was like, all right, here's... 40 drafts worth of scripts now uh find a way to end it hmm. yeah so, i'd say the the ending the what based on what you said david the ending is still um for for even though it serves as like an action-packed climax like it still felt like it more or less flew, flew flown 
whatever with the the rest of the film. Sorry, go ahead, Brandon. No, I, I was just gonna say the, the uh, you know, just kind of uh, choose your own adventuring. Your your third acts uh, based off of scripts is is funny to me. Uh, but you know, I, I rewatching it this time, they're they're making their way into the alien civilization, uh, and then like. Ever for the most part throughout the movie on Mars, everything made sense to me from a uh, like a, a a spatial aspect. Like I, I always felt like I knew that okay, Venusville, you get to Venusville through these tunnels over this way, uh, and then uh, okay, they're underneath the caverns here, they're in the mountain there. But then all of a sudden, uh, Arnold and and uh, Melina, <laughs> Quaid and Melina, they have to go through the tunnels in order to get to the alien. Uh, artifact uh alien forge or whatever you want to call it but then richter and cohagen are there already kind of and all these troops and all of a sudden i i lose kind of the the, the spatial awareness of well, how do they get there that fast or or what what am i missing um as as far as the geo the geography or geology of this place and i, and I you know i think that is a a brief testament to you know tacking on that third act like well Send them to the alien civilization. Right. That's that's like yeah, they they got there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, there is obviously so much more still to talk about this movie that we just we unfortunately do not have time to get to, and we already kind of know the answers. So I guess this will be quick. But let's ask the question that we ask at the end of our discussion, which is: Does this just stay in the hall of memory, or is it worth visiting again today, Brandon? Since you brought it to us, since it seems to be a, a part of your life even today you've shown it to your kid what's your thoughts on that i think it should go in the dumpster <laughs> uh no i mean wholeheartedly i think it's still worth visiting today i i think it it is an artifact of the the late 80s slash 90s or early 90s because it was released in 90 uh it, it is it, it's part of the uh, kind of change in in schwarzenegger's uh over Au revoir, au revoir. Um, and uh, you know, we we talked about the remake real quick. We earlier, uh, but there was a sequel originally to Total Recall. I'm sure you guys know about this. Uh, it it actually was developed into a, another movie. Yep, I knew about this. Stripped stripped away from the Total Recall aspect, but Minority Report, uh, the Spielberg directed film, mm. uh, was originally a Total Recall sequel. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know all the mutants, they they read minds and. Uh, the precogs uh, kind of tell the future. So those those concepts tied together. Eventually, they split off, and Spielberg just directed his own thing with Tom Cruise. Uh, so I, in my world, there's still there's it's a still a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe you'll have to make that case in a future episode. We'll have we'll have to break it down. Uh, Nick, what uh, do you think, having seen this movie now for the very first time? Oh my gosh, I love this film. Like I like I said before, it's just a film that I I I had I had zero expectations compared to anything that I've probably watched in recent memory. Uh and not to say other things that I've watched in recent memory were bad, but I know that for me, I'm at this, you know, we're at this stage where like time is precious and like if I'm going to watch something, I'm really going to I want to make sure something I really want to watch. But also sort of like taking on sort of what am I trying to say? Like sort of preparing for something like let's say a marvel movie right like i mean i've been reading comic books since i was a kid and so now it's like oh here's the next spider-man movie or whatever and like i have all these expectations of spider-man and now the movie comes out and maybe it meets them maybe it doesn't whatever 
But with Total Recall, I really, even though I saw the remake, I mean, the remake pales in comparison to this. And not, and I'm not trying to be too critical of it, but like, even not really knowing what the plot of this one was, the the remake just felt bland. Whereas this one had so much charm and so much character. And yeah, it was basic and, you know, there maybe wasn't a ton of depth to it. But what was there was still really clever and just, it was disturbing and uncomfortable at times and also funny and cool it was just a really fun experience and going in with no expectations and no baggage just i think made it all the more powerful for me yeah this is a fun movie i'm i can't say anything that hasn't been been said here uh it's a great time it is ridiculous and you know doesn't uh the, the logic of it doesn't hold up but it has full of it's full of style it's full of just great one-liners it's full of visual effects that despite being 30 years old look really great you're gonna have a good time with this movie if you've never seen it and you probably have seen it and if you have this is a good time for a revisit you know we all need stuff right now to kind of help keep us entertained i think this is a great one so that's gonna do it for us here today before we get out oh and of course listener uh let us know what you think let us know if you think that we are completely wrong and you know what, uh, let's nobody ever talk about total recall again, or only the Colin Farrell version is the correct version. You can reach us at hitmeonemoretime.com. You'll find all the ways to contact us there. I've been getting a lot of great feedback from people. Please, please do continue to tell us your thoughts on the stuff that we discuss and thoughts on the episodes. We love it so very much. Thank you. But now, as we're on our way out, I want to make sure that people know where they can find all of us. And Brandon, uh, thank you again for being here. And where can people find you, should you wish to be found? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I am on Twitter, uh, personally, at Barnyard Cruz, C-R-U-Z. More a Penelope than Tom. Uh, If you want to get a hold of the Rick and Morty podcast, that is at Rick and Morty Pod. I also have at Apathusiast, and I do a Twilight Zone podcast for the original series, not not the new CBS version, uh, at S4YA underscore podcast, and that stands for Submitted for Your Approval. And uh, I just want to say, consider this a divorce. That's my last, that's my last line. <laughs> oh, that was a line I was trying to think of earlier. God, that was. I had that in the back of my head. I was wondering if I was going to be able to fit it in before the show in it. So thank well, you. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we got that in. I'll I'll, I'll drop in the the sound clip. Consider that a divorce. Uh, thank thank you thank one. you for having me, guys. I, I it means a lot, and I really really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, Nick, where can people find what you're up to? You can find me on my, okay, I can't do it. I can't do the accent. Um, you, can, you can find me at, at Nick uh, Sheramuxness on Twitter, where I may or may not uh, leave a tweet. Uh, though probably at this point, I'm going to start talking about Total Recall nonstop. <laughs> well, there you go. Find him there. You can find me on Twitter at Devluz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. All the other projects I work on get talked about there. So please do check it out. Thank you, audience, for listening. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today. And I just want to remind you all that you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!